for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's Nobody's Listening Anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. You know what, you know what I like about this? You, you, you've under, you understand your role now in this part, one of your many wonderful roles in this podcast, besides carrying it, of course. And that is, uh, and doing all the work and research. Uh, I do none research for this podcast. Well, but, but I'm just a wealth of you, information. You are okay. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, the other thing is, is you're kind of my, uh, I don't know, timekeeper, guardian. Can you move your ass? We got like we to do. Yeah, stop yeah. talking, stop bullshitting. It's one forty, yeah. and I said we had to be uh, yes. on the air by one o'clock. Yeah, because I would not, I would not stop. Because I mean, we're we're so engrossed in this natural, wonderful conversation about our lives that uh, you know we forget about time and that we came here to do a podcast. You so. do. I'm I'm very <laughs> cognizant of it. <laughs> I have and, a five-year-old to pick up school. And, and I've told you, so here's our challenge for today, because actually, I think of all the times we, we, I don't know, I've lost track, and I don't keep track, and I'm not one of those people that says, I don't keep track, but I really do, no, I really don't keep track. We've probably done, I don't know, 50 or 60 episodes, something like that. I don't know if we've ever had one with more news, like with more, and more like recent, hot, incredibly interesting news, and games going on, multiple sports, and uh, yet we're we're gonna have we're gonna clock in at you know only two thirds of the time of what we usually do, and I've already wasted two minutes of it. But I said let's let's challenge ourselves. It's mainly a challenge to me, not to you. Can we get all this in and do it in thirty five minutes? So let's I see. don't give a shit at two fifteen. I'm off. <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter where. By we're the at. way, for those of you listening, and who else would be listening? But those of you listening, it's one forty one. So we have thirty four minutes. Let's see how we do. Kalen the boar. Uh, by the way, Jack, a lot, of, a lot of Jacks, football, FCS, Stop basketball. Stop with the by the ways, and we're never going to get People need this. to know it's going to come up. It's called a tease. Uh, yeah, that was, you're not on radio anymore. This the is big, a podcast. <laughs> the biggest news, and plus we've already had a headline. They know what we're going to talk about. Uh, Kalen DeBoer goes to Washington. Of course, this is an incredible journey for a guy who was a first uh, a player at USF within 10 years, the head coach at like 30, 67, 3, blah, blah, blah. 12 years later, after all these jobs moving up the ladder, Holy shit, he's the head coach of the University of Washington. Have you seen what he's making yet? I haven't. It'll be between three and five million a year. That's it? Or at, at minimum, I was going to say. I would think minimum five. But, yeah, but uh, could very well be. Yeah. yeah. He was uh, making 1.2 at Fresno, I think. Yeah, and uh, there, there's a lot of elements to this, including who he might bring with him, including Curtis Riggs, our good friend, uh, who's been in Sioux Falls forever, but used to be on Kalen's staffs at USF. But let's go to Kalen. What, I mean, what's your general reaction and thought about him being offered this job, him taking this job, blah, blah, blah? Not surprised by any of it. Um, I did a big, big story during the pandemic when he had just taken over at Fresno State. Uh, that was a big deal, you know. That was his first FBS job. It was actually his first head coaching job since USF. He had been a coordinator all over. Um, and, you know, I talked to Jeff Tedford, who was a, a somewhat legendary coach, Cal Fresno, and Jeff very much was like, this guy is a star in the making. And I remember Curtis saying, like, he's going to win there, and when he does, he's going to be a candidate for a Pac-12 job. I remember this feature. It only took a year and a half, yep. and here he is. And, I mean, I think you could make an argument that Washington is a top 20 job in the country. I mean, that's a program with a, a storied history. They're not good every single year, but you, you mentioned it last night when we were chatting. Um, every few years, they're in the discussion. You know, they're a pr pr traditionally pretty strong FBS Pac-12 program. 
we just talked about the money that's going to be there. He's in Seattle. The facilities are going to be amazing. Um, it's it's you could just see in some of those things that that were circulating on social media that without having talked to Kalen yet that you can tell this is surreal to him. He's kind of got this look on his face like how the hell did this happen to me? How did I get here? Um, and to, to to answer that because USD and UND didn't hire you. Ooh, I mean, intriguing local angle. Well, he was a finalist for both the North Dakota job and the South Dakota job. And in both cases, he did not get offered the job. Around whereabouts, when Bob Nielsen got hired at USD, the and job when Bubba Schwager got hired at North Dakota. Was that the same year? The same it was around time? the same time. Okay. Um, Is Bubba still at UND? Bubba's still at UND. Okay. All right. Uh, if he had got hired at those jobs, he would still be there. Um, because nothing against Kalen. Obviously, he's a great coach and he's proved it. He was not going to turn USD or UND into the program that would get it. I mean, hard job. Chris Kleiman's not at Washington yeah. right now. You yeah. know, uh, Craig Bowles not at Washington. You know, he's extremely fortunate that those schools did not offer him those jobs. Yeah. And he was able to instead take a different route. Offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan, offensive coordinator uh, at Fresno State, then Indiana, then back to Fresno State. That ended up working out very well for him. And now, like I said, here he is, 79-9 and nine career record and about to take over the Huskies before he's not even 50 yet. You know, yeah. it's, it's, an, it's an amazing story. This is a guy who I used to play amateur baseball against. Uh, he still texts me once in a while in the summer. How are the, how are the Monarchs doing? You know, he is the most unassuming, unpretentious guy. You know, like, yep. there were there was uh, times when he was still at Southern Illinois as an offensive coordinator that people were saying he's going to come back and he's going to coach USF again or he's going to coach Augie when Mike Aldridge got fired. He was, I'm pretty sure, I was told he was offered the job there and he sure. considered it. Should have been offered. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's wild to, to think that this is where he's at. Yeah, and I think back to, uh, I, I remember the day, the press conference, I'm sure you do, in the Stewart Center. Uh, must have been 2009 going into 2010. Right after they won the national title in 2009, right? Third yep. in four years. And that was the year they beat North Dakota. So it was kind of like... You and know. first of all, you know, part part of all of us were going... Because we all knew USF was going to Division Two at that point, did we? I don't I know don't if know. they had announced... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't... So... Yeah, I think they had. Part of, I think they had. So okay, there's tentacles to this as well. But part of me was thinking, A... All right, he's leaving an awesome job, mm-hmm. and he's going to go be the OC at Southern Illinois. And I get it; that's a higher-paying job. That's a that's a two extra levels up at the time, going from NAIA yeah. to uh, and FCS. Dale Lennon was the coach there, who at the time was a big deal big in deal. area yeah. college football. Uh, so, but we all knew, okay, he's setting sail. This guy legitimately, uh, you don't do this unless you want to become a head coach mm-hmm. at a higher level or the highest level someday. But I think we all also knew, we, we knew he had a lot of talent and he was only like 33, 35 years old. And so if, if any time, the, the number two part of this is perfect time to get out. We don't know how well this division two thing is going to go. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be winning national titles anymore. So mm-hmm. you're going out on top and uh, it would have been admirable for him to stay in it and prove he could do it mm-hmm. at division two at USF. But you also get the timing was right, and but, he got this job. But if he just stayed at USF and just gone eight and three yeah. in Division two every year, no one Absolutely. cares. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Not getting, you know. Yeah. Jed Stugart is God bless him. I love Jed, but he's still kind of spinning his wheels at Division two. You and, know, and maybe he likes it. I don't know. Is that what Jeff? I think wanted? Jed. I think Jed wants to move up. Yeah. That's why. I mean, he went from a Division two to a Division two, yeah. but he kind of felt like. I think I don't. I don't think there's a lot I have left to prove at USF. I have to go prove I can win somewhere else. Yeah. So he went to a Lindenwood program that hadn't had a ton of success, and he's taking him to the playoffs the last two years yeah. now. So and he's probably making a lot more money at Lindenwood. He's got that's as good as the D two job as there is in the entire country. And that's near his hometown, right? Uh, no. Oh, he's from not, Colorado. That's not in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. But I just mean it. Good money, good facilities. They have yeah. a good program. But 
given that they just won the conference again this year, he might be looking well, to make a move. Well, it's an interesting question because it's uh, any any profession, any job in life is about time. You know, it has a lot to do with your own abilities, but also, of course, timing and luck and who you know. So, that, so a sidetrack I never expected to have in this discussion. Like Jed Stuger, do you think if he had better timing and luck, he could be has the ability to be? Uh, could have got, could have done what Kalen did and could be at a power five. He still could. I mean, he's he's like, done he's done well everywhere he's been. But that's kind of the point where with with me making the distinction yeah. that if Kalen had taken that U or I shouldn't say taken been offered yeah. the USD or UND job, he'd probably still be there. Yeah. Um, it worked out better for him to take the assistant role. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that Jed did something wrong, but if Jed wanted to be say an FBS head coach or a, a coordinator or an FCS head coach right now. He might have been, in hindsight, better served taking the route Kalen did and going being yeah. a coordinator somewhere rather than being a D two head coach. By the way, do you how many what percentage of now that you've been covering the Jacks for a few years and you've seen a lot of guys come and go, moving up or moving down, uh, starting their careers and ending their careers? Uh, like, what percentage of coaches in that industry? Uh, and I you, we can apply high school to this as well. Are okay with being assistant coaches their whole career? Like, what percentage of them all want to be head coaches eventually, someday? That's a really good question. I don't know. I, I guess it depends on the demands on their time. And, you know, a lot of them kind of get out of it or get out of their head coaching dreams when they start families. I always wonder what happens to coaches who just, like, they get into it and that's all, they're all in on being a coach their whole life. And then one day they're just like, I'm done, I'm out. Yeah. And then they go sell insurance or whatever. I mean, yeah. There's probably a story there somewhere. But yes. um, to, to answer your question, I don't know. I think a lot of guys are content being assistant coach, unassistant coach. But inevitably, no matter how great your job is, how much you love it and how good you are at it, you are at some point going to disagree with the guy in charge. Yes. And you're going to think like, well, I wish I was the one making that decision Of course, right now. you get to make you know? the most money on the staff right. and all that stuff. And, right. and and if you have dreams and aspirations of getting to the Power Five or getting just to Division One as a head coach like Kalen did, uh, you know, he had this, he basically knew I have to be an assistant coach for a while. A lot of guys just like, I'm going to try to get the next head coaching job mm-hmm. and another, then another head coaching job. He, he did it differently. I think part of it was youth and age. He was lucky enough to be a head coach so young, so early and have so much success mm-hmm. that he could kind of, okay, I've got that. I've got that in my bank. 67, yep. I got it. Yep. Yep. Uh, but, uh, it still was an interesting and unconventional path. And we all knew that he had the capability of one day doing this. Uh, that's probably, and this was definitely his goal from the start, but it's like, good luck, fella, because you could run into a lot of bad timing and a lot of bad luck, no matter how good you are at what you do. And you might make the wrong decision, which would have seemed like the right decision at the time to take a USD or UND job if it were even offered. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, think of the places he did go to get here. Southern, I get Southern Illinois and Dale Lennon. They were pretty good at the time, right? They, or was he walking in? Dale, yeah, Dale Lennon replaced Jerry Kill. Okay. First couple of years, he was winning with Jerry Kill's players, and then yeah. you know, that tapered off, and Dale Lennon hasn't coached since then. Yeah, and then, um, and then, so they weren't even that great at Southern Illinois. He was there. He had good offenses, though. Yes, Kalen, okay. Kalen had good offenses, but and they didn't win. And he was smart enough to bail before Dale got fired. Yes, well, yeah. Kalen's been smart enough to bail in a couple different cases. Right. USF yep. and now Southern Illinois. Yep. And also, uh, the good news about only being an assistant, only being a coordinator. It's like, hey, it's this. Yep. I just this is my thing over here. Yep. It's, and, okay. No. And so then he went to Eastern Michigan after which, this, which is like one of the worst the, FBS jobs in the country. At the time, it was literally the worst. Yeah. And uh, but he also recognized, like Southern Illinois was about to he, that staff was going to get fired, so he was going to lose. His and job. he would have plummeted to back to NAIA. Maybe. Yeah. Or, or no, Division Two. Yeah. Something. Yeah. So he was fortunate enough to get maybe. out of there, and they knew going to Eastern Michigan. I remember uh, it was Ryan Grubb actually told me because he went with him to Eastern Michigan. He's like, we knew that was a pretty safe opportunity because the expectations were so low. 
And he's like, we knew uh-huh. we are smart enough coaches that we will win there. Like we're not going to turn it into a powerhouse, but it's just that program is so shitty. And all we got to do is go 500 exactly, and we're kings. Exactly. Yep. And that's what they did. Yes. And uh, I remember Ryan Grubb telling me like, we got there and like the players wouldn't even like, like we couldn't even get guys to finish a drill. Like that's just how bad it was. Yeah. And so they just basically had to clean house and start over. Yeah. And then they got to a bowl game, which was their first bowl game in a hundred years or whatever. And then Kalen goes to Fresno and then does well there goes to indiana indiana has their best season in 20 years or whatever jeff tedford retires he's back to fresno for his first head coaching job in 10 years and it's interesting he kept taking we we, we can get into how great of a job washington is but it's it's generally more of a brand name associated with success than failure uh and so and it's a better school or a better program historically than a lot of the places he has been usf great historic program Southern Illinois, eh, not, not, and not not much while he was there and since he's left. It's a directional school. And uh, so is Eastern Michigan. Bad right, job. Right, Fresno right. State, I mean, if you know enough about Fresno State, Pat Hill built that to where a really respectable group Mountain of five, West Mountain West yeah. program. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Tedford, I'm familiar with because I worked in Oregon. He had been an assistant coach. Believe it or not. He got famous as a cow. Not he Fresno, did. Yeah. He, yeah, believe Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history here like believe it or not there was Oregon before Chip Kelly and it was nationally good under Mike Bellotti and uh Jeff was on that staff Jeff was Mike Bellotti's and Mike Bellotti Mike Bellotti was considered uh, I know that okay I'll go all the way back to Oregon had Rich Brooks you don't need to we have a short amount of time and no one cares about (laughs) Jeff Tedford okay he, he, he was good at Oregon, so then he got the Cal job. He was, by the way, recruited and coached Aaron Rodgers for what that's worth, and then uh, you know got fired by Cal, blah, 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 blah. Uh, th- this is where I want to go with Kalen, is how Jeff Tedford at Fresno State, who had a great he's, – he's somewhat of an offensive god out on the mm-hmm. West Coast, or was at one time, and he was kind of trying to revitalize his career by taking this Fresno job. And how the hell did he find and decide – and this is an offensive guy to make this kid from Eastern fucking Michigan his offensive coordinator. He, uh, I asked him that very question when I did that story on Kalen, and he said, literally, I just got on the internet and started looking at offensive statistics. I mean, most guys are already like, I'm hiring this guy. My, I'm going to yeah. hire my old he, buddy. My he old, went into yeah. it blind and said, I want to see if I can basically discover someone. And he wanted someone to actually run his offense. Now, I'm running the offense. And he saw, this is, I'm almost quoting him directly. He said, I was just searching through offensive statistics on the NCAA website, and I saw that Eastern Michigan was high on some of the lists, and I was like, Eastern Michigan? Like, they're traditionally terrible. What's going on over there? So I looked up who's the offensive coordinator. I read his bio, 67-3 and at USF. He's like, I don't give a shit. What Was that the first thing he said, 67-3? and was the first thing he was like, I read his bio and saw that he had a 67-3 and record as a head coach, and I said, I don't know anything about the NAIA. I've never heard of the University of Sioux Falls. But that is amazing. Yeah. I have to talk to this guy. So we called him up out of the blue. He said, hi, I'm Jeff Tedford. I see that you're a good offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan, and you went 67-3 and at USF. Tell me a little bit about yourself. By the end of that phone call, Jeff Tedford had his offensive coordinator. Seriously? Seriously. Stop looking. That's the story. Was that his, so that was his first? He, I mean, he, he knew I mean, Unless he was buttering me up with the story, but that's what he told me. So that tells you Kalen's also a good interviewer. I think that's the least surprising thing, but yeah. Why is that the least surprising thing? For, I mean, for you, people who don't know a whole lot about Kalen as a person. I mean, he's just a very genuine dude. Like, yeah. I, you know, I was just telling you a second ago, I mean, he's a semi-famous college football coach now, and he still randomly checks in to see how are the Monarchs doing in the state amateur baseball tournament. Yes. I mean, he's just an unpretentious guy. He so, has never gotten to where he's like, oh, I'm a big deal now, so I 
don't care about USF anymore. I don't care about South Dakota or, you know, like he's never been that guy. He's never going to be that guy. And I'm sure that comes across, you know, coaches when they're looking for assistant people to be on their staff, yeah, they want football knowledge and they want recruiting chops and they want all these different things, but they also want people they can trust. Yeah. They want people that they can know, you know, I can trust you to be loyal to me, you know, to buy, buy into our philosophy, our ethics, all those sorts of things. Yes. And Kalen is the kind of guy that it's not going to take long into a conversation before you recognize this is a genuine dude where I'm getting exactly what this guy is portraying. Absolutely. And what's his reputation as a recruiter or your understanding of his reputation as a recruiter? I mean, I can't speak to it as much since he left because I don't pay attention, but uh, I know when he was at USF, I was really struck by how many kids he recruited out of South Dakota that no one else was recruiting. And in fact, I don't want to name names, but there were some other coaches around here who sometimes laughed at Kalen, like, he thinks that guy could play. And then that guy went and turned out to be, you know, an All-American at the NAI level when the other school should have recruited that guy. Yeah. You know, he had an eye for talent. There were, I mean, you know, a Lorenzo Brown, a Chad Cavender, those are kind of obvious. But, you know, uh, Dusty Havorka, you know, was a played at South Sioux City, you know, I mean, I think that's where he's from, somewhere down there. Like, yeah, he was a good high school player, but none of the other schools were after him, yes. really. And he ended up being, he could have played Division One by the end of his career. Mm-hmm. You know, Trevor Holloman, their safety, was, I think, a four-year starter, a three-time All-American. He was just an insanely good player that nobody else wanted. TJ Went out of Harrisburg, was a four-year starter, including as a true freshman, 18 years old, He's starting on the offensive line, four-year starter, one of the best players in school history. I point blank and asked an Augie coach once, why didn't you recruit T.J. Went? We don't want him. Well, yeah. you should have because yeah. he was really freaking good. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And by the way, what may, do you, do you, can, you, can you take us to any of the depths of what makes him a quote-unquote great offensive mind? He is, right? Or he's supposed to be? I mean, I'm, or... I, I would imagine his offense has evolved quite a bit since yeah. um, I covered them. He's always put a ton of, of uh, responsibility, I guess you'd say, on his quarterback. And that's why he always has made sure to get a really good one. Yeah. You know, he had Chad Cavender and Lorenzo Brown when he was at USF. Okay. And those are still probably to this day the two best yeah. quarterbacks they've ever had. Um, you know, Curtis Riggs played a, a significant role, especially early. I mean, Kalen has maybe, you could say, branched off on his own and spread his wings and kind of become his own dude. I think early on when they were still at USF, I think Curtis had a, a significant role in helping with that. I feel horrible not knowing this no, because I spend a lot of time with Curtis at least once a week on the, the other podcast, Movement Sticks with Curtis Riggs, which, by the way, may have had its last episode. We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> but, like, was was Curtis the offensive coordinator and play caller for Kalen on those no, national titles? No, they teams? didn't have an offensive coordinator. So, and Kalen called the play? That was always a little bit of a gray area. Curtis, Curtis's title was quarterback's coach. That's what I remember. Um, Kalen was the head coach. There was no offensive coordinator. Okay. I always kind of got the impression it was sort of a – collaborative thing. I think Kalen called the plays yeah. most of the time, but I know Curtis had a significant impact. They, they were talking together. Yeah. Because Curtis calls his own plays with the Sioux Falls Storm and uh, obviously he was a quarterback. And yeah. every, most, I could be wrong about that. Maybe Curtis yeah. did, but I, I, I don't... Like I said, I just knew it was yeah. collaborative and the thing is that worked so well because they were good friends and they had similar philosophies. I never got the sense that there was a lot of give and take, pulling back and forth, tug of war between those two sure. about what to do. I think they were always well, pretty much on the I same I mean, page. they were they were pitcher and catcher, quarterback and receiver on a national title team, and they're be- they're, they've been best friends ever since. <laughs> so that's where we'll head next is, because uh, obviously we know part of what Kalen, how Kalen struck lightning here. He got the Fresno job. He did well there. They went to a bowl game. He gets the Indiana offensive coordinator job. And... Uh, 
and the, the one year he was there, they are third out of 14 teams in offense in the Big Ten. I mean, think of the Big Ten. They were third in offense. And they won like eight or nine games. They yeah. torched Nebraska with a backup quarterback. That, that says anything. Uh, and that was that was it. That's all Fresno needed. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll bring you back here, and you're the head coach. Mm-hmm. And he's he hasn't won a Mountain West title. I don't think he's even going to the Mountain West title game. But he's been like 12-4, and 12-5. and five. And these things move so fast. And I think Washington, he's a bit of an unproven FBS head coach. But Washington's, I think, is thinking we'll get him before somebody else does. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if mm-hmm. somebody, if we don't get him, somebody else will. We might as well take a flyer on him. Um, and, but with Curtis, Curtis has sat back the whole time while Kalen has gone on his journey and has stayed here in Sioux Falls. Anybody who knows Curtis understands he is a brilliant offensive mind. I don't think we're, he's fooling anybody into into something he, he is. Uh, he's a very smart guy. Anyway, and an eleven-time national champion head coach. And then he runs a football academy, and he does some TV work and analyzing. But he's, I'm sure, every step, and he's been with Kalen as in spirit or as a friend every mm-hmm. step of the way. Mm-hmm. But he's, and I'm sure every time, I would think every time Kalen might have a place on whatever staff. Every new for job Kalen has, has taken, he said he's reached out to Curtis. And yeah. Curtis never took it, and now he is. Well, I shouldn't say that because as we're taping this podcast, we don't know. Yeah, I don't say that that's a given, but we I, don't know. I all signs point to it. Yeah. I've heard a lot of rumors. Um, it makes sense. Uh, Curtis told me when Kalen took the Fresno job, I asked him, he's like, uh, you know, if he moves up to the highest level, then maybe I'll listen. And also just the timing is good now. His kids are grown up. Yes. Uh, the storm just, I think they did squeak into the playoffs, but for the first time, we're like not very good this past year. Mm-hmm. There's new ownership. I don't really know how that's going, but I mean, it just, if you don't go now, you're never going to go. Well, and what Curtis will happily tell you is that his league that he's in, you've got Arizona in there now, and you've got Las Vegas in there now, and it's compared to what he used to have to recruit because they recruit in that league. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Sioux Falls Canaries as well. They're just bigger cities and more attractive cities for young men in their 20s uh, to uh, to go and play, mm-hmm. and Sioux Falls isn't at the top of the list anymore, and you can't and they can't just do it just because they've won a bunch in the past. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, just like... USF when they were moving on after Kalen's last year's national title, good time could be a good time to get out. And as 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 amazing as we use the word for Kalen's path, I think Curtis's is almost more amazing in how unconventional it is because he just he Kalen did all the climbing up the ladder uh-huh. and doing an incredible job everywhere he did. Curtis just stayed here right. and waited, and then okay, now okay, now it's the right I would, time. I would guess he's going to be the quarterbacks coach. I would guess that'll be the role. I think the offensive coordinator will, will either be Ryan Grubb because he was Kalen's OC this year at Fresno, yep. or Kalen will do it himself if if Ryan decides he wants to stay back in Fresno and try to be the head coach there. So I, I don't know. We'll All see. Right. Um, but. Curtis's bio on the Washington website is going to look funny to people uh, who yeah. don't know the background, who don't understand the football sort of hierarchy in South Dakota. They're like, "Who's this guy? An eleven-time indoor football coach? I mean, he was an NAIA Player of the Year. Like, that'll be different than what people are used." When's to. the last time he was coaching? Oh, that was at an NAIA school. In what? 2009. In 2009. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think, it's, but uh, any of us who know Curtis are, are kind of like. Yeah, he belongs there. Right, I mean, right, he yeah. always has belonged there. Right. And, um, so we'll see, but we don't know for sure at this time if that's happening. So, uh, so this all kind of trumped the uh, this all kind of trumped the Jacks' first playoff game and the Yotes' first playoff game and some of the hoops going on. We're gonna have very little time to talk about any of that, which is fine. But you know what else did? Uh, Chase, uh, Chase Mason. Mm-hmm. Chase Mason, the 
Nebraska baseball to South Dakota State football. I can't remember how much you and I touched on this uh, last time. I told you last week it was happening. Okay, so, so you predicted it correctly. That's, I didn't I, predict it. I just knew. I had been you knew it. Yeah. yeah. So, and, uh, and again, I've, I've had people that I know in the high school football community, Chase Mason, SDSU, WTF. Why would he do that? And uh, because we, as far as we understand, he wants to play quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't do this unless he thought, thinks he could compete for it now. Mm-hmm. And some people think he is nuts because there are other places, higher level schools he could have gone and competed for the starting quarterback job. So anyway, what to, to, to your knowledge, why is he doing this? Uh, he wants to play football. He wants to be closer to home. Yeah. Uh, he chose Nebraska over some other pretty impressive baseball schools, I think because Nebraska was the closest one to home. Yeah. I don't think it was because he necessarily was in love with the Nebraska baseball program. Yeah. Um, but then after being there for a while, like I don't know if he felt like he was still too far away from home. He just told me I was not enjoying it. And he said it wasn't about Nebraska, the school, the campus, the coaching staff. He said, I love the coaches. I love my teammates. I was not having fun playing baseball. Um, I'll take my tap. Okay. Um, and then once that decision was once that decision was made, it was like, hey, I want to play football. And he said he put his name in the transfer portal, and literally five minutes after he entered it, the Jacks called him and offered him. And he said, I love their coaching staff from having been recruited previously. He's like, I, I fell in love with them immediately. I just felt like I've got these baseball offers. I have to take them, you know. And he said, once I decided I didn't want to play baseball, he's like, that was really, he's like, there was no, I think his direct quote was, there was no point in even waiting for anyone else to offer me. This is where I wanted to go. Good for him. And that's, that does seem a little wild considering he had FBS offers in football and obviously baseball and indications are he was going to be Nebraska's starting center fielder. You know, and this is a guy who has a 95 mile an hour fastball and doesn't, didn't just hit 30 homers as a high school senior. I mean, we're talking 450 foot bombs. I mean, this guy is a Bryce Harper kind of talent and uh, you know, he can always, you know, he can always change his mind again later. I don't know. I asked him if, if baseball, is that it? You're done. And he's like, I don't know. It's just, that's not what I want to do right now. But he's 6'4", 220, he's got a cannon, he can run, I mean, he played center field. You know, he's still yep. based, you know, I mean, it's, he's a freakish athlete. Yes, he is. And a lot of Jacks fans are going like, well, what are they doing? You know, we still got Gronowski for four more years and just recruited this Cade Rice out of Ohio and Jabore Gibbs is still around and Rudy Voss is emerging and like, you don't become a great program by saying, well, we already have a quarterback. You know, like, if a guy that good is available, you take it. And one thing I thought was really cool, Chase told me yesterday, is shortly after he announced his commitment, Mark Gronowski reached out and said, welcome aboard, can't wait to have you here. That obviously says a lot about Mark Gronowski, sure. um, but I think also it just shows that's kind of the culture they've cultivated there is everyone there gets it. Like, there isn't this sort of, well, I'm the starting quarterback now, so why are we bringing this guy in? Like, they all get it. You know, if, if that guy can make him better, which he clearly can. Yeah, well, and by the way... Uh, we thought Jabari Gibbs would be the next thing for four years, yeah. and he gets hurt. And then yeah. Sigurdowski steps in, and then he gets hurt after yeah. being an offensive player of the year. So it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility that Gronowski uh, gets hurt, hurt again. Or, uh, but yeah, but, but, but once you saw Gronowski was every bit as good, if not better, than what Gibbs was, then and you know it was kind of like. Cool, you know, like this is a yeah, this is a formula that could work. And on the one hand, if somebody's going to be the odd man out or odd men out. Yeah, the only one that's I mean, is on the one hand, if you're SDSU, at some point, I think whether you're a coach, player, or even fan, you kind of go, "Geez, are we just going to have a, a different quarterback every single year?" Because that's kind of how it's been ever since Terry Christian. Sure, but you play the best guy. 
And Chase said that when I talked to him yesterday. I said, how do you manage walking into a room that already has Mark Gronowski and Jaworia Gibbs? And he was like, whoever deserves to play is going to be the guy. Like, yeah. I'm not expecting anyone to go, oh, well, you're an FBS recruit. You you get to be the guy. He's like, I get it. You know? I, I'm guessing you asked him about it. what's your sense on if he'd be willing to play another position if they're like you've lost the starting quarterback job but we want you to start at- as of right now he is all in on quarterback I don't know whatever okay I mean, okay that's sort of one of those cross that bridge when you that's get all he wants to talk about that's that, that's clearly all he wants to talk about yeah. okay fair enough all right your, your takeaways from USD's uh SDSU's first round win over UC Davis they played really well right I mean, they, they did it was a little bit of a slow start they were trailing 10-7 and kind of dinking around on offense a little bit but once it became apparent that Davis's defense had no chance to stop the run, they just ran the ball there. Chris Oladokun threw for 89 yards, and they scored 56 points. So yeah. that tells you. And they did have two defensive touchdowns, uh, but still. Wow. Um, it was it was dominant. Uh, having Isaiah Davis back for the like the first time really having that one-two punch, they both rushed for 200 yards. Mm-hmm. You do that, you know, no yeah. one's going to beat you. And I think this is still the same Jacks team that shit themselves three times this year. But having said that, this is the first time all year, really, since, I guess, the Colorado State game, that they've had those two healthy, fully contributing, and that changes the game. If they're going to continue to have those two, thank you. um, If they're going to continue to have those two for the rest of however long this playoff run goes, that's a a difference maker. And also, you can say, well, they don't have home field advantage. Big deal. This team plays better on the road. They might be better off going on. They have, because the examples are well, pretty much everywhere. Their only home loss is USD, or road loss is USD. Yeah. And obviously, that was a game. They, they basically had it won. Yes. Uh, so, uh, to, at this point, what's what's the thing for Sacramento State and how they match up? Um, Sacramento State has a very good defense for a big sky team. They give up 19 points a game. Offensively, it's weird. They average like 32 points and 470 yards a game, so it's an explosive offense. But you look at the stats, and there's no, there aren't any dudes. There's like four guys that all have 500 rushing yards, and five guys that have 500 receiving yards. And okay. they play two quarterbacks. They have a passing quarterback and a running quarterback. So I asked Dig this morning. I said, "Does that make them harder to prepare for?" And that you don't go this guy, this guy, like this is the guy we have to stop, and this is the guy we have to stop. And he's like, eh, a little. He's like, it just means we have to be good at everything because they're good at everything, and they don't have this guy or that guy that you say, well, if we shut him down, we win. You know? yeah. So they're going to have to be sharp. They're not going to be able to make mistakes, which goes without saying most of the time. But everyone expects that the Jacks are nine-point favorites, and I, you know, okay. almost everyone that covers FCS has been like, yeah, the Jacks are going to roll in that game. We'll see. They haven't responded well to being heavy favorites all the time or feeling like they have pressure on themselves. But again, they've been a very good team on their own. And now they're healthy, so I would expect them to win. But I've said that three times I've been wrong this year. Sure. And are they looking, same thing I asked you last week, are they looking like a team that, okay, they could go on a run? Hard to tell or well, again, see something new? Having or... a healthy Isaiah Davis and even yeah. a healthier Don yeah. Gardner and everybody yeah. else, like that makes a big difference. All right. Uh, I know you didn't see it. I was at the USD loss to uh, Southern Illinois. The, I mean, frankly, I mean, the Yotes just looked dead for most of the game offensively, and whenever they could get it going, there was an interception at the goal line on the drive. They were down 13-3 to in the mid-third quarter. So they had three points by mm-hmm. the mid-third quarter. That tells you something about how they were playing offensively. They were playing defensively okay. They were holding seven other field goals, et cetera. And then they're about to get back in the game, and camp there was an interception at the, at, at the goal line that USD's moving to score a touchdown. And that didn't quite do it because they held Southern Illinois to a field goal. They scored a touchdown to make it 16 to 10. Looked like tides were turning, and then Camp threw another. I think he had three or four interceptions, 
And by the and by the way, my and my A topic for all this. First of all, are you surprised that Southern Illinois beat USD like this? I mean, this? I'm not shocked. I thought USD would win. I picked yeah. USD to win, especially being at home. Twenty-two to ten. Yeah, because um, I the way SIU kind of shit the bed after they, like we talked about multiple times, kind of had the path set out for them to win the conference. I really kind of lost any sort of enthusiasm for SIU. And I thought, you know, they lost to Youngstown State in the season finale. Yeah. I thought they'd go to USD and get their ass Of course. Kicked. I think surprising. a lot of people did. Yeah. Uh, they had run out a lot of steam. Uh, pre-game show, I heard uh, their their play-by-play announcer tell John Thayer, I'm going to drive down there. They said, he said, uh, this, you know, these seniors, I mean, they, this is a senior-laden squad, which is usually good, but these are also older guys who have played like 20, whatever, 20, 22 games in the last since. calendar year, yeah. And they're like, they're, they're, so I was like, okay, these guys are just toast. I mean, it might not, I don't know how mentally toast they are, but they're physically toast. And then they look great. I mean, they, USD helped make them look great. Mm-hmm. And this was going to be my A topic before Kayla DeBoer and Chase Mason. Your thoughts on whatever 3800 at the Jacks game 3500 at the Yotes game or whatever it was and I can't speak as much to the Yotes although that surprised me I yeah. thought given that it was I knew it wasn't gonna be a good crowd it's Thanksgiving weekend yeah uh, but I kind of thought maybe first home game in 30 years um, you know new dome trying to get some I, I yeah. thought there would be maybe half full I was stunned um I was SDSU stunned. I was less surprised they showed us they had great crowds all through the year. Then the regular season finale against North Dakota, they only have 8,000, by far the smallest crowd of the year. And even though they won that day, they didn't look good. They sleepwalked through that game, did just enough to yep. win. And I, before the game, like, I remember pulling up to the stadium and to park in the media lot. You have to drive by the tailgate area to get there. And there's nobody tailgating. And I was like, oh, my God. And again, this is a week after the USD loss, which was hugely deflating. And you just kind of got this feeling that Jacks fans are like, screw you guys, man. Like, we got all excited after the spring season. You came this close to a national championship. We were all in this year. We've been filling up Dana J. Dykow Stadium all season long. Then you go to USD and do that. Yeah. You know, like, sure. like just we're out. We're done. Interesting. And, and so the crowd was shitty against North Dakota. On a good weather day, by the way. And then they didn't play well that game. So it kind of felt like I was getting text messages from, from some readers and fans as I was driving to Brookings for the playoff game. And they were like, dude. There is nobody here. Yeah. It is so dead. And it was. And to the Jets' credit, there have been times in the past where Stig or players have been like, boy, it sure would be nice if they, like nobody said a word. Yeah. I think they all get it. Like, guess what? When you let your fans down like you did twice this year, choking against Southern, losing to Northern Iowa on Hobo Day, and then doing what you did in Vermillion, like – Sometimes you got to take responsibility for you let your fans down. You don't get to bitch at them for not showing up on a cold day on Thanksgiving weekend. All very valid. It's probably all true. And I know we got less than one minute. My, but here's another thing. Here's another one. Maybe football just doesn't mean as much to South Dakotans as, as it does in other places or as we think it does or at higher levels. Because I asked people on Twitter, what's going on here? It looks pretty weak. Is this an FCS thing? And people were trying to, well, sort Thanksgiving of. weekend, students are gone. Uh, or like, yeah, people are going to go show up to the Nebraska-Iowa game or the Minnesota-Wisconsin game because that's on the schedule. They plan on it. It happens. Right, right. But like all, so much of it was students are gone. Students are gone. It's like students are not the only people not showing up here. Right. And by the way, most students at these schools live within an hour of the schools. You don't think some of them could just take a road trip if they if they cared and loved going to football mm-hmm. games and loved their football team and it meant something that they couldn't just take a day trip up there. And if they drank too much, could just sleep with a friend or I, I probably, they probably can't sleep in their dorms if they're, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if there's a will, there's a way and it's not impossible possible for them to leave their families at their home for the Thanksgiving weekend for and go to a game. But no matter how successful any of these teams are, FCS football yeah. is still not the major leagues. Yeah, you know, it is. It's not the same. 
And yeah, you're and right. It's never going to be the same. And then you throw it because that is a valid point. The game's not, it's not on the schedule. People don't have that. Like they found out a week before the game was playing yeah. or the game was played that it was being played. Now, North Dakota State fans were telling me, oh, the zone would be full well, for this one. For one thing, they're not liars. Like don't stop comparing yourselves to them. Yeah. I've been saying that yeah. both competitively and, you yeah, know, like yeah. they're a different breed. They get to claim that. But also, I would I would just say, NDSU's attendance is down, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's... It is. They might have to start selling beer there. Yeah. Uh, so that was 35 minutes. It's 2.15. Uh, we never got into hoops, and there were some amazing hoops things that happened, and we'll just have to table that for next time and leave the people wanting more, as they say, in our line <laughs> of work. And I will not apologize for us talking about our lives and wives that cut out of our podcast time. You? <laughs> How do you feel about that? You don't give a shit. Yeah. You got to go pick up Arthur. I do. All right. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking time podcast. out of your busy, busy, busy <laughs> life to still find time to do this. You're welcome. And drink a Budweiser. And there he goes, Matt Zimmer, walking away from his empty Budweiser bottle. Uh, and I sit here getting my second Sierra Nevada pint going at the Gateway Lounge where, yes, I do spend time here outside of the podcast. Thought you'd never ask. Uh, of course, Friday, Thanksgiving Friday, Black Friday. Uh, my husband is working. I'm at home. Nebraska and Iowa, it's on TV. I can get it at home. Comfort of my own home. It's great. I'm uh, sitting through the, uh, the post-Thanksgiving eats and drinks, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Nebraska is up 21-6 to on Iowa in the third quarter, and, and, and as skeptical and, um, and deranged and what's the other D word? Oh, no, it's jaded. It's a J word. Jaded of a Husker fan as I am. I'm thinking today just could be the day. It just could be the day where Nebraska breaks through, figures out how to win a game, figures out how to be a good team, uh, ends a six-game losing streak against Iowa. I can't just sit here in the comfort of my own home and celebrate this by myself. Even if I, even if I texted or even got called or Zoomed, so my best friends growing up in Nebraska or college friends from Nebraska or or, or or friends that I made my, my five years in Lincoln professionally in my 30s. No, 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 no. I've got to experience this in person with real Husker fans here in Sioux Falls. And I made the 20-minute drive from Lenox to here. I was also hungry, and I also wanted a drink. And I was also tired of eating leftovers already. So I was like, I, got, and I, I want to come to the Gateway Lounge where I know the game's going to be on. The sound of the game is going to be on. And, uh, and there's going to be some fellow Husker fans to celebrate this victory with. And also, I knew there would be some Iowa fans here, and I can't wait to, for, to see them shut up and cry in their beer. And what happened to me? <laughs> what always happens to Nebraska football the last five years and a lot the last 20 years? Uh, the football, Charlie Brown, Lucy, swipes it away. Fool's gold, pain, destruction, psychological, neurosis, damage. Uh, nightmares, PTSD, all sprang back to life. It felt like the second I, I, on the drive here, the blocked punt. By the time I got here, within two minutes, the safety, and it was on. And Iowa was on their way to a 22 to nothing fourth quarter. And I got the opposite of what I came here for. I got Iowa fans with their shit-eating grins, celebrating and ordering more beer. And me and my fellow Nebraska fans shaking our heads face palming and crying in our beer but you know what it was the best place in this area to do it (laughs) 
It was the place I thought of to go. It was the place I thought of to go to do such a thing before I started doing podcasts here and developed a nice relationship with Jackson and all the staff here. And uh, I gladly came back here on Sunday, as I do most Sundays, around 2.30, 3 o'clock, fourth quarter of seven or eight different NFL games finishing up. And in this case, involving no teams that are my teams or teams that I most care about. But I play fantasy football. I, I, I love how compelling of a product the NFL is, and I love watching four or five different games go down to the wire all at once. Even or even Red Zone will not do that for me. I get to see it all right here, and then I stayed for Vikings and Packers games separately. Sat at the bar, perfect view of the Vikings and Niners, perfect view side-by-side side with the Packers and Rams. Off to the side was the Broncos and the Chargers. I'm a Chiefs fan, so that mattered to me. And uh, they just get it here. It's just an awesome place to go watch more than one game at once or just one game at once, like Nebraska-Iowa. And uh, it's, uh, it's so much fun here. And the great news is it's going to be a well-made, delicious meal no matter what I get. Uh, they have even, you know, I, this is going to sound self-absorbed, but they kind of have my, my own thing. I like patty melts, but instead of the beef, I like the chicken breast. They'll do a patty melt, chi- patty melt chicken breast for me, no problem. Of course, by now they know what beer I like, and that is Sierra Nevada here. Uh, and they are just wonderful people. Uh, it is a hometown neighborhood bar atmosphere that yet is a huge bar. And even when it's full and rocking, there's usually going to be a table or a seat available for you to soak in great sports viewing. And uh, even if there's not sports on, even if it's an idle Wednesday or Thursday night, uh, it's just a great place to hang out. It's local and locally owned and has been going on for a long time. And I am so proud that our conversations about sports happen here because they were before I started the podcast and they will continue to do so. And so if for nothing else, come support a great local establishment. And whether it's for a meal or to watch sports or just to hang out with friends or for their great seven days a week, two for specials, Boy, did I bury this lead. Uh, Twofers, seven days a week. Twofers of Screwball, Jack Daniels, uh, Gibson's. I'm on my second Sierra Nevada, forgive me. Gibson's Whiskey from Canada. Uh, Other people call it Canadian Whiskey. Tito's and uh, Ham's Point. I can't even read the sign right now. Second Sierra Nevada. Anyway, uh, five different kinds of liquor, quality liquor. Twofers, seven days a week, 2 to 7 p.m., and on Sundays make it a double for 25 cents here at the Gateway Lounge. So drink specials, hanging out with friends, a great meal, uh, Americana menu with pizza and wings and patty melts and burgers and even really good salads. Oh, my. Gateway Lounge, I-29 and 41st Street, West 41st Street in Sioux Falls, at Gateway SF on Twitter. It's a fun Twitter follow. So uh, for Matt Zimmer, I'm John Gaskins. Next week's going to be interesting because we'll probably be able to slip in some hoops talk. Uh, we could have gotten 20 minutes on the Vikings today and uh, Kirk Cousins short-circuiting. I know the defense sucks, but uh, Kirk Cousins coming up small in a big moment again. Uh, we'll just have to table that for next time and uh, see where this thing takes us, including Curtis Riggs. At the time of the recording of this podcast, we didn't know if he was along for the ride with Kalen DeBoer and in Washington or not. By the time you're listening to this, you may know of that fate, and I might as well. Uh, Curtis is a good friend to both of us, and he kept himself under wraps because he was probably busy with something, 
And uh, so take everything we said about Curtis here uh, and what's happening next with Curtis with a dump truck of salt. But hopefully we'll have at least, if Curtis is indeed moving on from Sioux Falls, we will have hopefully at least one more move the sticks with Curtis Riggs. And even if we don't, check out that podcast because maybe now that'll convince you to listen to my other podcast, you out there. Huh? Maybe, maybe that pushes over to the top. The fact that I've been doing a podcast with, the, with a member of the University of Washington football freaking staff uh, all this time. Big time college football coach. Maybe you want to check it out, hear what he's been having to say all season long about the Jackrabbits, the Coyotes, high school football, all his takes on the NFL, great quarterback mind, brilliant offensive play calling and head coaching mind, pulls no punches, uh, the perfect uh, sports talk radio and podcast co-host and analyst, Curtis Riggs. Check out all of them at anchor.fm slash krigs or just Google move the sticks with Curtis Riggs uh, and, uh, you know, let your mind and your ears run free with that. And, hey, if he is sticking around Sioux Falls, awesome. I'm pretty sure he's going to keep doing the podcast then, and then uh, there will be new episodes for you. Uh, and also, um, okay, one last thing. I'll plug my uh, I'll, I'll plug both hosts' other works of, um, of art, or just simply works, if you don't consider it art. But I don't really need to plug Matt Zimmer's Argus Leader articles. You probably read them anyway. Uh, at Argus Matt Z on Twitter, and for me at John Gaskins nine eight one on Twitter, uh, I have been I have had the uh, the fortune to have some fun and do some serious work in TV news at Dakota News Now. And uh, so, if you want to check out some of the stories I've done covering those in Sioux Falls who are, are now going to open up the the city's first marijuana shops, uh, I covered that lottery. That was an amazing thing to cover and tell a story about or beer sales at Jackrabbit and Coyote football games. That probably would have been on the docket if uh, Kalen DeBoer and Chase Mason would not have happened this week uh, or we or, or we we didn't have limited time. But uh, the Regents, the Board of Regents are going to discuss this for the Jackrabbits and Yotes and for more texture, context, uh, comments from a Regent and uh, athletic directors who are uh, who have differing opinions on where that is headed at their private schools here in Sioux Falls. Josh Morton at Augustana. Pam Gould at USF. Augie's drinking at games already. Football, basketball, some wrestling. USF, not and probably never. Uh, full story, dakotanewsnow.com or just on my Twitter, at John Gaskins981, and uh, see what I have been up to there. Had a good time working part-time for the good folks at Dakota News Now, KSFY, and KDLT. All right, so now I'd like to tell you about my childhood. I was born at uh, Methodist Hospital in Omaha on, uh, in 1978. Six pounds, eight, I'm just kidding. See you later. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. Fuck you. <laughs> you guys need a round of drinks? Yes. Yeah.